Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, author of all we have, to whom belongs both the first word and the last, open us to your spirit, that as scripture is spoken and your word proclaimed, we may be comforted, convinced, and changed to give greater glory to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning, if you are interested, can be found in the Pew Bibles and the New Testament portion on page 27. If you would prefer, you can see it on the screen or in your bulletin. It is from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. For it, is, for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received that what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So as we continue, um, as we continue our series on stewardship, uh, looking at raising a generation in faith, kind of moving into that part where uh, next Sunday will be our commitment Sunday. Um, the hope is that uh, we will all bring um, kind of our pledge for the next year and uh, share it in worship. And so if that's where we're headed, I want to make sure you know exactly kind of what the vision is uh, that the church leadership here at Chapelwood has discerned uh, where God's leading us to go. I don't know about you, but I've had a life uh, full of restlessness. Uh, I uh, was an ADHD before ADHD was cool. Uh, you know, back in the day, before they really had designation, I was the guy that uh, just couldn't stop fidgeting or looking or thinking, right? I, of course, I knew what was going on at the front of the classroom, but I also knew what was going on in front of me and behind me, and hey, look at the ant that's going across the floor, and hey, look at the squirrel outside. Uh, restlessness was just something that I had. I remember being restless um, in college thinking surely there's more about life than just this. I remember being restless at seminary and thinking, this is great, but when do we get to do something? I remember being restless at Bel Air United Methodist Church, my first appointment as an associate pastor in the midst of Tropical Storm Allison. Uh, we had opened up the church as a Red Cross shelter. Um, I, I remember my chair of SPR coming up to me saying, well, I bet you didn't dream of doing this when you were at Duke Divinity School, and I said, actually, I dreamed about doing this my whole life, at helping people, doing uh, caring gestures, real actions that made a difference in the life of others. I have a restlessness. Do you have a restlessness? What, what would we be about? Um, I, my hope is that you hear in our vision today uh, that I'm not asking you to give to the light bill. I'm not asking you to preserve a museum for uh, future generations to come and see how people worshiped in Lake Jackson. But rather, I'm asking you uh, to partner with the church, to partner with God, to do four basic things over the next three years that will have a dramatic impact on the life of our whole community uh, so that we might find a way uh, to form children and ourselves in what I call sticky faith. Uh, how could we, uh, do you know what sticky faith is? I mean, how many of us have sat in pews or uh, grown up with folk? When I look at my uh, high school youth group picture, group picture, uh, I can tell you that there's about 20% of those kids uh, that grew into adults who now are active in church communities. I mean, think about it. The people that you were raised with or the people that you've raised your children with or um, the folk that you're dreaming about might be uh, part of your community as we raise a generation together. It's not a one-for-one one that if they grow up in church, they end up in church as adults. There's something about those college years and those adult years that they, they either stick or they don't. And my guess is that your hope is my hope that more of them stick. Now, I get it. We serve, a, I serve a, um, a church of engineers and those who love engineers, right? So chances are I could convince you best if I could give you a study that shows research-based how to get kids to stick as adults in vital discipleship. Okay, 
So the National Study of Youth and Religion was a nine-year comprehensive longitudinal study that followed 3,000 uh, teenagers across the United States through every medium of sociological research possible. They used uh, surveys, they used telephone calls, they used one-on-one face-to-face meetings. Uh, they looked at what their churches offered, they looked at what the kids did in college, and they looked at the likelihood that they stuck as adults in adulthood. Over the course of that, the findings were um, numerous things, but there were four key things that they said, if churches did this, if those kids caught these values, if there were these behaviors that those kids knew upon graduation, it escalated or increased the likelihood that they would stick as adults. Those four basic things, right? I want you to think, what's the most important things that we do here at Chapelwood? Put put those four basic important things in your head, and now let's see if your four things match with my four things. The four things that the National Study of Youth and Religion say is that uh, kids should be a. What does it take to raise a generation in faith? I apologize, I didn't stick to my notes. Um, And then the. um, So what does it take? It takes these four things. One is that uh, kids and adults um, should be able to tell a personal, powerful. God story about themselves. You you heard the mayor right here uh, begin to tell you about a personal, powerful God story that happened in 2002 when he went on UM Army. Now, if you've been on UM Army, you know there's share night every Thursday night. And what do kids do at share night? They tell a personal, powerful God story about themselves. That uh, to be able to develop the skill, they need to be in a church of adults uh, and older adults who can tell their personal, powerful God story. The second thing that the study showed is that uh, kids need to have a sense that there is a higher purpose, a, a higher calling to life, that it's not just about what happens nine to five, Monday through Friday, but that we are about more than just being workers or homemakers or uh, products of citizenship, but rather we are about a higher calling and a higher purpose. And to do that, they have to be surrounded by folk who tell the story about how they come to, came to be who they are because of a higher calling. The third one is that they need to participate in a faith community that has strong ties and high expectations. Now, let me just be honest with you. Methodist churches are not known for being strong tie churches or high expectation places. I remember growing up in the Woodlands, you could be a member of the Woodlands United Methodist Church if you attended just Christmas Eve and Easter morning. Oh, come on, let's be honest. You could be a member of that church if you did neither one of those, right? A strong tie church, a high expectation place. It's kind of like what um, Miss Reinhardt said about her pew. And if somebody goes missing on her pew, she's going to come looking for them. Uh, Could you ever imagine what it's like if someone actually came looking for you when you were absent from church, not in a judgmental sinner in the hands of an angry God, why weren't you there? But rather, is there a way that I can serve you? Is there a way that we can work together? Are you doing all right? Uh, The fourth issue uh, of uh, items that teens need upon graduation is that they need to be fluent in the language of faith. Now, uh, researchers found that it wasn't that these kids happened to be the 3,000 most inarticulate uh, folk. 
They were articulate about a number of topics, but they were unable to be articulate or fluent in the language of their faith. In fact, when pushed by researchers, some of the students uh, began to be very articulate about religious practices that they believed to be very important to them, but were antithetical to the doctrines of the church that they attended. <laughs> so they, okay, no laughter. Wow. Okay. So those four things, be able to tell a personal, powerful God story, to have a clear sense that life is about more than just what's here and to participate in a faith community that has strong ties and high expectations and to be fluent in the language of faith. Those are the four things that the National Study of Youth and Religion say are crucial to young Christians becoming vital, mature, adult Christians. Four simple things. Notice they didn't say vacation Bible school. Notice they didn't say stewardship campaigns. You're not going to laugh at that one either. Wow, all right. I'm just going to go for lunch. Okay, notice they didn't say fancy altars. All they said was to develop those four things to make sure that, that students could see uh, the work of God in their lives, that they belonged to a community, that there was a call to something more, and that they could speak the language of faith in a coherent way. Over the next three years, I think that's our call, to raise a generation in faith. In fact, I had a church leader tell me, preacher, it'd be a whole lot easier if you just tell us we should build a building, a family life center in the back. Bricks and mortar, I understand, but this raise a generation in faith, it's ambiguous, it's amorphous. I'm really not sure whether we're up to that call, but I know that you are up to that call. I see it in little glimpses all across. I feel the restlessness in you. We are uh, like a family that's ready to go on a trip. The, 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 tank, uh, the gas tank is filled. The bags are packed. We've plotted it out on the GPS, and now it's just time to get in the car and go. And with the National Study of Youth and Religion, we have an evidence-based, clear idea of how to partner with God as God raises a generation of faith here in our own church and beyond our walls as well. So you might ask the question, why, preacher? Why raise a generation in faith? Why pour all of the resources of the church out on teenagers? Is that really the best stewardship of our resources? Let me be honest with you. Teenagers are a bellwether of cultural shifts to come. Do you want to know what Gen Xers believed in or thought about prior to them becoming adults? Watch MTV 15 years ago. There it is. The teenagers are a bellwether of cultural changes. And the same is true today as our digital revolution continues. You can find what's going to happen in the future culturally by watching what our teenagers do. And you can influence it by influencing what happens to teenagers or how about this? Uh, uh, let me quote a, a research statistic for you. I think we should raise a generation in faith because 80% of all Christians come to know Jesus prior to their 18th birthday. That the older a person becomes, the less likely they are to become uh, a person of faith in Jesus Christ. So that's a great reason to pour our resources into forming our youth and our children. I believe that there is a higher purpose. Uh, why should we uh, raise a generation in faith? Uh, we should because um, we're not preserving a museum here. Uh, the goal of the church isn't to save uh, lots of money. The goal of the church isn't to be as minimalist as possible, but rather the goal of the church is to take resurrection-sized risks to offer hope in Jesus Christ to the world around us. 
Do you sense that restlessness that you inherited with your pastor? That there is something more, something bigger, something exciting. Even John Wesley talks about the purpose and importance of raising a generation in faith. Wesley says in a stewardship sermon, no less, uh, he quotes, he's quoted saying, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or in America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. Who are we and who is God calling us to become? Do you sense that restlessness? I'm not inspired to give to a light bill. I'm not inspired to give to the preservation of old ways of doing that no longer give life to the future. But I do get inspired about doing something big, something exciting, something that will change today and change tomorrow for the kingdom. Earlier this month, um, the, uh, let's see, the first woman to have circumnavigated the world in an airplane alone passed away. Uh, her name was Jerry Mock, and in the 1960s, she was a 38-year-old homemaker. Uh, she and her husband owned a uh, Cessna airplane, and one day she was very bored, and she turned to her husband and offhandedly said, I'm bored. And he said, well, flippantly, you should just fly your plane around the world. So she did. She took about a year to plan out how it would work out, uh, but before long, she found herself completing a 23,000-mile journey. She traveled over the Atlantic, the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, the Gulf of Oman, the Arabian Sea, and the Pacific. She stopped at Casablanca, Cairo, Karachi, Calcutta, Bangkok, and Honolulu, among other places. Uh, she flew out of a restlessness, out of a boredom that there is something more. And I wonder if we should uh, tap into the restlessness that we have. You know, it's interesting that people don't show up to church after college because church feels like it's something like background music. It's the wallpaper of your life, but it's not the real meat of what you do. The real meat of what you do is to um, acquire and to keep up with the Joneses, no offense, Duran and Al. Um, it's about doing something different, that the real action of life doesn't happen here. It happens someplace else, like in your bank accounts uh, or on the sports teams that your kids are a part of or where they go to college or university. But let's be honest, the restlessness, that excitement is here in this church. It's the opportunity to do real things that make a real difference in what will happen in the future. It's not just about teaching our kids about how to uh, parrot the right words uh, or to um, act the right way. Uh, when everyone's looking, but rather it's about all of us being able to spot where God is moving in our lives and telling the personal powerful story about it. It's about uh, caring about each other uh, who are in the pews next to us so that we have a high expectation church and strong ties together. Uh, it's about together nurturing the call in each one of us that life is about more than nine to five. It's about making a difference for the gospel and in the world around us. I want to invite you to prayerfully consider over the next seven days, as we come towards Commitment Sunday, that the church leadership here at Chapelwood believes strongly that this is our three-year goal. This is our next step in our faith journey with Christ, is to make sure that the things that we do in church allow us and our children 
uh, to be raised in sticky faith. I hope that you would, uh, in some ways, vote with your pledge and your tithe. Uh, James Horton, our stewardship chair, has said that we believe what is needed for the future is to raise our giving this year by 10% so that we can tackle the very important opportunities of raising a generation in faith. Um, I know there have been many who have stood at the pulpit and said uh, in their stewardship moment that they will be raising their giving by 10%. I hope that you will be thinking about that too. I wonder where are we investing our time? What is our restlessness for tomorrow? I have a restlessness to make a difference in the world. I have a restlessness to do things that matter, not just things that we've always done. And so I hope uh, that in the midst of uh, asking the question, what does it take to raise a generation in faith, that you will partner with the church, that you'll partner with God, so that together we will plant and water and prune, and God will bring the growth for a generation in faith that will lead in their adulthood uh, like you have led here in this place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So be sure, if you haven't uh, gotten a pledge card yet, uh, I hope that you will. Uh, there are some out in the narthex. Uh, we've mailed uh, a letter to every member in the church. Um, we want you to prayerfully consider about the three-year plan that we have to raise a generation in faith. The first year, tackling the four things that make for sticky faith. Uh, that what if, uh, from the top down, the church organized themselves around proclaiming the gospel in such a way that everyone could tell a personal, powerful God story, that everyone had a calling uh, higher, uh, an idea of a calling uh, to something higher uh, in terms of purpose, uh, and that we had a strong Thai expectation community, uh, and that together we weren't just teaching things that were convenient or easy, but rather teaching things that allowed us to be fluent in the faith. I hope that you'll partner with the church, uh, partner with God, as together uh, we realize a vision that might not just change our church, but change the community around us. Um, if today's the day that you'd like to join the church, we'd love for you to come up during our closing hymn. Um, I also believe there'll be some Stephen ministers that'll be coming up. And at the early service, I thought that I would cut the uh, last hymn because, you know, the preacher ran over. But then I realized it's hard to raise a generation in faith if you're not standing on the promises. So uh, let's uh, sing the, um, at least the first verse of Standing on the Promises. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, we give thanks uh, that you have made a difference in our lives, uh, a difference that uh, causes us to tell a powerful and personal God story. Send us out this day to share with others what you're doing inside us and through us so that together we might raise a generation in faith and change the world for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.